Well, good morning, Mission Church. Hey, listen, so today we have finally arrived at the fourth and final message of our series on emotions. And uh, for those who have been following along with us, you know that the title of this series is In My Feelings, and the subtitle is Preaching the Gospel to Our Hearts. So in this final week, in this final installment of this series, what I want to do is I want to unpack and address what that subtitle actually means. In other words, what I want to do is I want to unpack and explain what it practically looks like to preach the gospel to our hearts. And the passage that's going to show us how to do it is actually found in the Old Testament, the book of Psalms. And we're actually going to be looking at two Psalms today. We're going to look at Psalm 42, and we're also going to look at Psalm 43. So go ahead and turn to Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. And, uh, and if you are able, I would love for you to please stand for the reading of God's word. Now, the reason why we are looking at two Psalms is because not only are they written by the same individual, but as you will see by the language that is found in each, they are meant to be read together. So Psalm 42, starting in verse 1, if you're with me, say amen. amen. The psalmist writes, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Everyone say soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Everyone say soul. And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Everyone say soul. And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And then 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, 
O my soul. Everyone say soul. And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I thank you for the blessing of being here this morning. And God, I thank you that your word is sufficient and your work is finished. Lord, your word is so sufficient that I can literally just read it, say amen and walk away and it will not come back void. That is how powerful your word is. And so in light of that, I pray, Father, that you would help me to rightly divide your word because I believe that if it is rightly divided, not only will I show myself approved unto you, but you will then use it for the salvation of the lost and the sanctification of the found. I thank you for the privilege of being able to work through this series. I know that I've learned a lot. You've grown me a lot. I've had a lot of tough conversations with you, uh, with myself, with my, my wife. Uh, I'm grateful, Lord, for this series and all that it's revealed. And I'm grateful, Lord, that the gospel enables us to deal with the bad news because it is such good news. And so in light of that, I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would prepare our minds, our hearts, our souls, and our wills for the preaching of your word. Provide, prepare us for it. And I pray, Lord, that you would use this for your honor, for your glory, and for our holiness, and for our good. Lord Jesus, we need you, and we ask all these things in your precious name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So like I already mentioned, what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about what does it practically look like to preach the gospel to our hearts? Because I believe that if we go through this entire, service, this entire series and never actually pause and discuss what it actually looks like to do it, then we're really back at square one and haven't really made much progress. So in this psalm or in these psalms, the psalmist actually provides us a four-step process on how to steward our emotions, a four-step process on how to preach the gospel to our hearts. Now, the first step that he models for us in this passage, the first step that we are to take if we are going to preach the gospel to our hearts is we must detect. Everyone say detect. The first step that we must take if we are going to steward our emotions is we must detect said emotions. If you are experiencing an emotion, but don't actually admit that you are experiencing said emotion, then you can't take any of the other steps that we're gonna talk about today. This first step, it, it seems obvious, but it isn't as obvious as you think because you cannot address what you don't admit. You see, this entire Psalm, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, are essentially a, a Psalms about emotional awareness. This individual is experiencing a very strong emotion. He detects the emotion, he becomes aware of the emotion, and then for the rest of the Psalms, he, he talks about essentially what he does with these emotions. But the first step is detection. If we can't admit that we are emotional, 
then we will never be able to address our emotions. That's why this first step is incredibly important. Now, for those of you who were here last week, you know that in one of the, the, the spectrums that I drew, on the one hand, you had the people who were emotionally needy, and then on the other hand, on the other side, you had the people who were emotionally negligent, the people who were marked by emotional negligence and numbness. Here's the thing about the people on the negligent side, on the numbness side, if you don't ever admit that you are emotional and have emotions, you can't preach the gospel to something that you're not willing to admit is there. That's why this step is so important. And something that C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Screwtape Letters, and for those of you who don't know, Screwtape Letters is essentially a, a book that Luth, uh, that Lewis wrote, and it's an older demon essentially mentoring and discipling a younger demon. And the younger demon has been assigned this individual, and this individual becomes a Christian. And so the older demon is teaching the younger demon on how to tempt this individual and how to keep him from experiencing the assurances of the gospel. And in that book, the older demon says to the younger demon this about emotions. The more often he, the individual, the, the subject they refer to him as in the book, the more often he feels without acting, the less he will be able, he will be able ever to act. And he says, in the long run, the less he will be able to feel. So let's pause here for a second. He says, the more an individual feels without acting, the more eventually they will no longer act. They will feel an emotion, they will stuff it, they will ignore it, they will be numb to it. And the more you train yourself to feel something and then ignore the thing that you're feeling, he says what will happen is the less the individual will be able to act. And then, in the long run, what happens? The less he will be able to feel. A after a while, you will literally stop feeling things. You will become numb. And so the reason why this first step is so important is because, again, this is an older demon talking to a younger demon, and he is mentoring him, he is discipling him, and he is saying to him, hey, if you really want your subject to struggle, make sure there is a disconnect between what he feels and how he behaves. Make sure you get to a point where he just suppresses and ignores and denies. And what happens then after a while is that the disconnect becomes so great that in the long run, they will no longer be able to feel. So this first step of detection is absolutely vital. Just to kind of unpack for you, I said this last week, but I want to reiterate it here. And just to show that in many ways, I'm taking my own medicine with this series. I am very much uh, one of the people who tends to neglect and tends to deny and suppress, right? I can be very emotionally negligent. And one of the things that uh, my wife and I had to wrestle with uh, before we actually moved here to Memphis was we were in a season where we knew that our time in Chicago was over and we were trying to figure out where God was going to lead us. 
And so there was a lot of disagreement because she didn't really feel like God was calling us to leave yet, and I was convinced that we had to go. And so there was a lot of tension in our house during that time. And so she said, hey, how about we go and do some counseling? So we went and did some marriage counseling with a, a godly counselor who was a believer. He was an elder at his church. And something that he said that has stuck with me ever since, it was like five years ago now, he said, Will, you are extremely emotionally numb. Like you suppress a lot. So here is what I'm going to challenge you guys to. And then to Lily, he said, to my wife, he said, he said, you do a lot of feeling and not a lot of thinking. Will does a lot of thinking and not a lot of feeling. So here's what I'm going to challenge you guys to do. From now on, when you are dealing with something, I want you, Lily, to ask Will, how do you feel about this? Because if you don't spe specify the word feel, he's just going to tell you what he thinks. And when he tells you his answer, if what he's giving you is a thinking answer, pause there, double click and be like, no, no, no. How are you feeling? And not, what, what, not what do you think about this? How do you feel about this? And then he challenged me to do the opposite. That whenever we're processing something, my challenge was to ask Lily, not how do you feel, but what do you think about this? And doing that exercise, it not only did it sit with us, but it really helped us to get through that season. And because she was asking that question, it forced me to deal with the emotions that I was suppressing. It forced me to deal with the emotions that I was denying. And so maybe that's something that you can try. Because I know that for me, it played a very big difference. But I say all that to say this. I was getting to a place where there was a disconnect between how I felt and how I was acting. And if it wasn't for the Lord using that counselor, you extrapolate that out over a decade or three decades, I would have eventually gotten to a point where I wasn't even feeling anymore. And the, the way that I then illustrated it coming out of that conversation was, it was almost like Lily was always on the FM station and I was always on the AM station. So on the surface, we were both radios, and we're like, why can't we communicate here? And I realized, because I'm always on AM, and she was always on FM. And so what those questions did is they forced me to then go to FM in order to deal with my emotions, and it forced her to go to AM in order to deal with her thoughts. Does that make sense? Now, the other thing I want you to see here that is very, very important is that he is talking specifically to his soul. He's not talking to his head. He's not talking to his heart. He's not talking to his hands. He is talking to his soul. Now, the word here for soul in Hebrew is the word nepez. And it means, in Hebrew, it means the breath of God. It refers to the entirety of a person. It refers to the inner man, the entirety of the inner man. So in light of that, I want to draw this for you one last time because this connects with what we were discussing in week one. We were in Mark 12. We said that the soul 
is the Greek word suhe. The soul refers to the entirety of the person. And then we talked about the mind, which is the noah, our intellect, our reason. And we talked about the heart, which is cardia, which is our affections, right? There's an emotional side. There's an affection side. Our motivations, our longings, our loves, our telos comes from. I want you to imagine the heart as the control center of your life, right? So you think about the movie Inside Out, the, 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 the panel, the control center, that's the heart. It's, it, all the buttons are on it, but the heart is the control panel, okay? And then you have the will or the strength, which is iskus, that the, the, has to do with our behavior, with our lifestyle, with our decision-making, right? But what I want you to see here is that in Mark 12, Jesus says that we are to love the Lord our God with all our soul, and our soul refers to our mind, our heart, our will. Our, our soul refers to the entirety of our person, head, heart, hands. The reason why I remind you of this is because that is who the psalmist is talking to. Even though it's a different word because it's in Hebrew and not in Greek, the word for soul here in Hebrew is very similar to the word for uh, soul in Greek, suhe. So he's speaking to his soul, which is the breath of God, the entirety of his person, and his inner man. Now, the reason why that's important is because the psalmist here is not just focusing on one layer of his person. He, he realizes that all of it is connected. And one of the things that we talked about in week one, I think we mentioned it again in week two, is the idea that we are quick to separate what God has brought together. Right? And so we go into life, like if you were to ask me prior to this series, if you were to ask me five years ago before I went to counseling, I would say, yeah, I'm primarily a thinker. I'm just always thinking. And my wife would probably have said she's more of a feeler. Some others would say I'm more of a doer. But the reality is we don't get to separate ourselves. The Bible says that we are thinkers, we are feelers, and we are doers. And so the reason why this is so important is because if you feel an emotion, it's easy to, one of the reasons why I think we suppress and one of the reasons why I think we become emotionally negligent is because we think, oh, well, it's just an emotion, who cares? But the reality is our emotions are connected with our thoughts and our thoughts are connected with our behaviors. And so if you neglect one part of yourself, you're neglecting all of yourself. So we don't get the right, we don't have the right to separate what God has brought together. He's preaching to his soul because that is what we are. We are a soul. And it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we looked at this uh, on Christmas, at Christmas, that at one point that soul one day is going to be given back to the one who gave it to you. God has called us to steward our souls, not just our thoughts, not just our emotions, not just our affections, not just our hands, but our souls. And when we stand before him and our soul gets given back to the one who gave it to us, he's going to ask us about how did we steward our souls. Amen? Amen. So we see that the first step in emotional administration is emotional detection. 
You can't address what you don't admit. Now, the second step that he models for us when it comes to preaching the gospel to our hearts and to our emotions, the, the second step that he models is he takes the step of diagnosing. Second step is to diagnose. Everyone say diagnose. After we detect, the second step is to diagnose. So if the first step had to do with our heart's reaction, which is emotion, then the second step has to do with our head's perception of our heart's reaction. So going back to week one, right, we said that there's a difference between our emotions, our feelings, and our mood. Our feelings refer to our hearts, sorry, our emotions refer to our heart's initial reaction to something. That's our emotions. Our feelings are our head's interpretation or perception of what we have experienced at the heart level. So our emotions are a reaction at the heart level. Our feelings are a interpretation at the head level. So if the first step, which is to detect, had to do with our emotions, this second step has to do with our feelings. How does our head perceive what our heart is experiencing? And so as he diagnoses himself, this is probably the part that most jumped out at me because he's so intentional about diagnosing all the factors that had led to him feeling the way he feels. He, in other words, as he diagnoses himself, he, he discovers that there are, there are multiple factors that are leading to multiple symptoms. So if you're taking notes, the, the first thing that he diagnoses is physical. There's a physical factor. And we know that because it says in verse 3 of 42, he says, my tears have been my food day and night. In other words, he's not eating. It's real easy to read right past that. But the first factor that is contributing to his emotional uh, turmoil is that he hasn't eaten. He says that my tears have been my food. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a medical doctor before he became a pastor in London several, several decades, decades ago, he does a wonderful job in his book, uh, Spiritual Depression, unpacking this passage. And what he says specifically about this text is that we can easily overlook verse three and get right to the spiritual stuff. But he says, as a medical doctor, whenever he had someone step into his office, there was always a physical component to what they were wrestling with. Whether it was not enough sleep or not enough food or not a healthy lifestyle, but there were things that were contributing to their emotional state but were actual physical factors, not emotional factors. So the first thing that he diagnoses, the, the, the first factor that is leading to him experiencing these strong emotions is physical. He has not eaten. He might just be hangry. Some of us get very existential when we don't have our snacks, our afternoon snacks. We start doubting everything. It's like, just get some carbs, bro. The second symptom 
or the second factor that he diagnoses is not just physical, but it's mental. He is struggling at the head level. And we know this because he's actually believing two major lies that are not true of his relationship with God at all. How do we know? Well, he says in verse 9 of 42, he says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? That's a lie. Like God hasn't forgotten him. But that's the lie that he's telling himself at the head level. Then in verse 2 of Psalm 43, he says, For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? And again, that's a lie. God hasn't rejected him. But he is believing a lie at the head level, and it's resulted in him believing that God has forgotten him and rejected him. So not only is there a physical aspect, a physical factor, but there's also a mental one. Now, the third factor that he diagnoses is relational. You see, the things that, that are contributing to him feeling the way he's feeling are not just physical and mental or internal, but they're also external because he says the people around him are not helping. He says in 42, verse 3, the second half of verse 3, he says, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Then in 42, 9 through 10, he says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Listen to this. Because of the oppression of the enemy. And then verse 10, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So the, the third factor that is contributing to him feeling the way he's feeling is relational. Now, here's what I love about this, though, and I think this is very important. It's easy for him to then say, okay, well, if one of the things that is contributing to my emotional turmoil and difficulty are people, then I'm just going to avoid people. Because when it comes to this factor in particular, you can't avoid the physical and the mental that happens inside of you, right? But when it comes to the relational, when the people around us hurt us, we have an opportunity to make a decision. We're either going to underreact and keep those toxic people around us, or we're going to overreact and get rid of all people, all people altogether. He doesn't do either. He doesn't do either. You know how I know he doesn't do either? Because even though he's very honest about the fact that there, is a, there are people who are leading to his emotional state that are contributing to his emotional state, he's not putting it all on them. Right? We talked about this last week that I think we're quick to blame people for our emotional responses. He's not putting it all on them, but it is one of the contributing factors. But the reason why you know that he's not giving up on people is because throughout the two Psalms, he's asking God to go back with the people who worshiped him at the temple. He doesn't just want to be back in God's presence. He wants to be back with God's people. So he's being honest about the fact that people are the ones that have led to his hurt and have contributed to where he's at. But he's not overreacting and giving up on people altogether. Does that make sense? Because every person here 
if you have humans in your life, you will eventually be hurt by said humans. And so you have a decision to make. Do I get rid of all people altogether? Or do I reconcile with the ones that are going to be a part of my life going forward? Or if they don't have to be a part of my life, do I have to keep this relationship going if it's not a healthy relationship for me? But it's easy for us to overreact and underreact when it comes to people hurting us. There, there are people here who haven't been in community in decades because someone hurt you back when you were 21. And then the fourth factor that leads to his current state is emotional. So it's not just physical and mental and relational, but the fourth factor is emotional. And he uses a very specific word in the Hebrew to describe how he's feeling. It's a very strong word, two words actually, that are very strong in Hebrew. He says that he's cast down. That's what it says in verse five. Why are you cast down? The word there or phrase there means to be brought down or dragged low. It means to be heartsick, to be low of spirit, to lack hope, and to struggle with despair and sadness. It's a very strong word in Hebrew. And this is why in his commentary on this text, Martin Lloyd-Jones says that this individual is struggling with what he calls spiritual depression. He is spiritually depressed. And if that phrase, uh, cast down, isn't strong enough, he then says that he's in turmoil. He says, why are you in turmoil within me? The, the word there for turmoil, it means to, it, it's almost like ocean, like water language. It means to be in an uproar. It means to be disquieted. See, one of the, the, the meanings of the word shalom is, is, a, is a body of water that's completely still. Well, the opposite of that is turmoil. It means to be in an uproar, to be disquieted. It, it refers to something that is turbulent or in commotion. Again, very strong language that he's using here to describe this fourth factor or fourth symptom. And what I love about him, though, is that he's being brutally honest about not just that emotion, but you could tell that this is one of those brothers that has no problem telling God what he's feeling at all times. Because if you're willing to tell God this emotion, cast down, turmoil, that's very strong language that he's using. And one of the things I love about the Psalms is that you find all the different psalmists being brutally honest with God about what they're feeling. But what I appreciate about what he's doing here is that if he's willing to admit this emotion, you could tell that he's willing to admit any emotion. But unfortunately, some of us, we talked about this in week one, that the emotions become feelings and feelings become moods. There are certain moods that were handed down to you because of your family of origin. And what happens is, if you're not careful, is you can take those moods, those narrative scripts that have been handed to you, and you can project them up to God. And so you think there are just certain emotions you can't bring to God. Even though he knows everything, we're going to talk about that more in a little bit. Even though he knows everything, there are certain emotions I just can't bring to God. I can bring to God gratitude. I can bring to God thanksgiving. I can bring to God worship and praise. But I can't bring to God my anxiety. 
I can't bring to God my doubt. I can't bring to God my anger and frustration and disappointment. I can't bring those to God. Because I got to present myself a certain way before God because of the theology that was given to me. But the reality is, is that if you truly understand the gospel and you understand that the reason why you are accepted and loved and approved is because of what Jesus did and not because of what you do, that the gospel is not about how I feel about Jesus, but about how Jesus feels about me, all of a sudden that frees you to bring whatever emotion you're feeling to God. For some of us, the reason why we can't share our emotions with the people around us is because we can't even share our emotions with the God above us. So if I can't share my emotions with the God that knows all of my emotions, why am I going to share my emotions with the person that doesn't? And so what I love about the psalmist is that he has no problem bringing to God all of his emotions. Not just some, but all. See, the reality is this. Part of what having emotional awareness means is that we have to have an accurate diagnosis of how we feel. Some of us think we are super emotionally aware. Some of us would say one of our strengths is, is our you know, emotional intelligence, connecting with people. But according to scripture, part of what emotional intelligence is, part of what emotional awareness looks like is being able to get an accurate diagnosis of how you feel. Which is why I mentioned this uh, throughout, I don't know when it was that I mentioned it, I think it was last week. But this is why, and I keep bringing this up because it actually has helped me as someone who tends to suppress and deny and be emotionally numb. The emotional color wheel is very helpful. Like I challenge you this week to search it on Google, screenshot it, heart it at the bottom if you have an iPhone because you know, if you're a Christian, you have an iPhone. Um, <laughs> And keep it in your favorites so that whenever you're experiencing something like a strong emotion, I'm not saying you should be looking at this thing every day, but whenever you're really processing a strong emotion, and for example, if someone's hurt you or you have to have a hard conversation, looking at that and saying, okay, I'm angry, but that's not specific enough. I'm actually frustrated. That's not specific enough. It's because I've been I feel betrayed or insecure. I'm telling you, like, it gets so specific with helping you identify what you're actually feeling that it's a lot easier for you to then have conversations with people around it, and it's a lot easier for you to preach the gospel to it. So again, you might be rolling your eyes, especially the guys in the room, you might be rolling your eyes. Oh, emotional color wheel, here we go. <laughs> but yeah, those same dudes have only shown three emotions their whole adult life. And I think this is why having people in your life is so important, going back to the community piece, because there are times where I have, we have, the, I have the color wheel saved on my favorites, I have it up on our fridge, but there are times that the way I'm actually able to diagnose what I'm processing is by having conversations with the people around me. I'm a verbal processor, and so I think I know what I'm going through, and then I sit down and I talk, to it, I talk about it with the people I'm discipling, or I talk about it with uh, my wife, or I talk about it with my accountability partners. And as I'm processing, by the end, I'm like, whoa, I thought I was feeling this, and I'm actually feeling that. If we don't take this step of diagnosing, 
we won't be able to take the next step. The, the, these first two steps of detecting and diagnosing set us up for the next two steps. Now, the third step that he says we must take, or he not just to say, but he models for us and therefore shows us to take is to dialogue. Everyone say dialogue. See, he doesn't just detect his emotions. He doesn't just diagnose his emotions, but he also dialogues with his emotions. And if you're following along in your Bibles, you'll see that in three different places, the same phrase is used. This is why Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are meant to be read together. Because he says in 42 verse 5, then again in 42 verse 11, and then again in 43 verse 5, he says and asks, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? In other words, he is having a dialogue with his soul. He is questioning his soul. He is interrogating his soul. He does something that is rarely done in our day. The idea of questioning how I feel in our day, that is such a rare thing. And Tim Keller in his book, Center Church, I'm reading that book for a completely different reason, but as I was reading through it, he mentions this, and, and I thought, well, that connects with what I'm preaching on. He says that there are two responses when we feel a strong emotion. The religious moralist says you should fight and suppress your emotions. The irreligious relativist says, no, no, you shouldn't fight and suppress. You should follow them and serve them. Two very different responses, right? So, so maybe you grew up in church and you were surrounded by a bunch of religious moralists. And there's no emotion whatsoever because, you know, in Christianity, we don't show emotion. It's a, 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 a sanctified stoicism. The religious moralist says, fight and suppress your emotions. The irreligious relativist says, no, no, follow and serve them. And what I love about what he does here is he avoids both extremes. He's not all facts like the moralist, but he's also not all feelings like the relativist. He doesn't deny like the moralist, but he doesn't deify like the relativist. He dialogues with his emotions. He dialogues. He says, or he asks, why are you downcast, O my soul? Now, remember, the word soul there, nepes, in Greek, it's sehe or suhe. He, he's talking to the entirety of his person, right? He's not just dealing with it at the emotional level. He is questioning the entirety of his person. His entire soul is being questioned and interrogated. And what I love about what he does is that on the one hand, he listens to his emotions, but yet on the other hand, he's not led by his emotions. So on the one hand, he acknowledges his emotions, but on the other, he doesn't acquiesce to them. What we see with this third step is that it's not just important to know what you are feeling, but it is equally as important to know why you are feeling it. 
So, so if you're able to identify, right, detect and diagnose what you're feeling, awesome. But really, the secular world can do that. It's not just a matter of knowing what you're feeling, but it's identifying why am I feeling it. And, and one of the things that we talked about in week one is that for some reason, I don't know why this is the case, specifically when it comes to our emotions, and again, it might be just the cultural, you know, the third culture that we find ourselves in. For some reason, we as people tend to behave like sin impacted everything else but my thoughts and my emotions. Sin impacted my wife's thoughts and her emotions, but not my thoughts and my emotions. I'm the only objective person on planet Earth. Sin has impacted my kids' thoughts and emotions, but not my thoughts and emotions. But the reality is, is that sin, because it has impacted our soul, like I said in week one, sin didn't destroy the image of God, but it did, it did distort it. Sin has impacted me at every single level of my person. And I think what happens is we are much quicker to, because we believe this lie, we are much quicker to interrogate the people around us than we are to interrogate the soul within us. It's easier for us to see the speck in someone else's eye than the two by four in our eye. It just is. You know who, you know who I always agree with 100% of the time? Me. <laughs> it's crazy. 10 for 10, every time. That's a great idea, Will. I agree with that verdict as well, every time. But we are so quick to question and to interrogate the emotions and the feelings and the motivations and the affections of others. And then when it comes to us, no, 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 I'm good. I read my Bible today, I'm good, right? That's why one of the reasons why I'm so excited about this worldview class that I'm working on is because everyone thinks that there is a biblical worldview and the biblical worldview is the one they have. Whatever version of it they have, that's the biblical. Yeah, of course I have a biblical worldview. It's everyone else that doesn't have one. Right? So let me illustrate it to you this way. And it's such a simple illustration, but it shows how kids just do a better job of being honest than adults do. So my youngest, uh, Alicia, who's eight now, she had this project she had to do. It was an assignment. It probably wasn't a project. But essentially, they were asked to say, however many people are in your family, write down one true thing of every person in your family. So I pick her up from school this week. I think it was on Monday. And uh, she goes, hey, Poppy. So I had a assignment, and here's what it was. And do you want me to read it to you? And I'm like, yeah, let's, let's go ahead. Let's read it, right? Now, mind you, before I get into this, so I was born with microtia, which is an ear deformity, and it affects one every, in every 3,000 kids, and so I've had multiple ear surgeries throughout my childhood, right? And uh, so she starts off with this list, and she goes, mommy is a trainer. 
That's the fact. Mommy is a trainer, a physical trainer. Uh, I, no, no, my sister, Leah, the oldest, she has a bossy spirit. She's very bossy, bossy attitude. <laughs> it's the only fact she can think of with her sister. I, she says, I have a sweetheart. <laughs> and my dad has one ear. So I hear this, right? I'm driving and I'm thinking, okay, well, let's talk about this. Let's start with the ear thing first. Why didn't you say, if mommy is a trainer and that's her job, why didn't you say I'm a pastor or I'm a good dad? And she's like, well, because it had to be true. <laughs> and she goes, I don't know if you're going to be a pastor forever, but you're always going to have one ear. A prophet is not a prophet in his own hometown, they say. <laughs> and so that's all happening. And then I go to the whole dynamic between her and her sister, and I'm like, hold on. So your sister is always bossy? She's like, always, every time. And I'm like, and you have a sweetheart? Always, every time. And I'm sitting there, and I'm driving, and I'm like, okay, I got to help her understand that, you know, she does, is bossy as well. I got to help her understand. But it just was such a picture because I think kids, what they do is they actually tell you what they believe. Like we, we're Christians long enough, right? You're in church long enough. You're like, I'm not going to tell you what I actually think. But the reality is, if we were to get a script of what we are telling ourselves throughout the day, our script is very similar to her script. Because it's so easy for us to question and interrogate the emotions and the motivations and the affections of others. I can see your speck from a mile away. But it is so much harder when it comes to us. So much harder. And that's why I'm going to read you a quote here from Lloyd-Jones. I think it's such an important one. In, again, I keep going back to this book, uh, Spiritual Depression. He says that one of the things that we see modeled for us in this psalm is that as we go through life, there is no one that talks to you more than you. Like you're talking to yourself right now. And he says, the problem is, most of our inner dialogue is passive listening instead of active speaking. See, you can't help the fact that you are the, only, the person who's most gonna talk to you. But what you can help is if I, am I going to be a passive listener to the inner voice or am I going to be an active speaker? Am I going to preach to and dialogue with this inner voice? Look what Lloyd-Jones says about this concept of actively speaking to yourself instead of passively listening to yourself. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. He says, take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. And then he talks about this psalm. 
He's talking about the psalmist. He says, now this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this talk, this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. And I love the King James. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? He asked. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. You see the difference there? We can't help the fact that our inner voice is going to be going. You can't help that. But what you can help is, am I going to be a passive listener or am I going to be an active speaker? So here's what this looks like. Let me break it down before we move to the final step. When you are dialoguing with yourself, you need to really pause and ask yourself, why am I being so reactive right now? Why am I so annoyed right now? Why am I so frustrated right now? Why am I so discontent right now? Why am I so offended right now? See, this step is so important. The reason why diagnosing is so important is because it's the only way that we move from external emotion to internal affection. If you don't diagnose and dialogue, if you don't dialogue with your soul, you will always stay at the emotional level. And you will find yourself dealing with the same two to three problem emotions and you never get to the bottom of it. So dialoguing is what helps you, the, the dialoguing and the questioning and the interrogating is what helps you move from the superficial emotion to the deeper affection. In other words, I'm gonna get very practical here. Ask yourself, is the reason why I am responding the way I'm responding emotionally is because I'm actually seeking and trying to find my significance, my satisfaction, and my security in something that is smaller than Jesus right now, and that thing is being threatened. Ask yourself, is the reason why I'm struggling is because the kingdom that I'm actually pursuing and seeking is not the kingdom of God, but it's actually my own kingdom and my own righteousness and my own expectations. And my kingdom is being threatened. My kingdom is being shaken. And so I am up in arms, not because the kingdom of God is being threatened, but because the kingdom of will is being threatened. You have to ask yourself those questions. So if I'm in a work situation and I'm in a meeting, why am I so offended by what this coworker just said? Why am I so frustrated right now? If I'm in a fight with my wife, what is it that she's saying? Again, because it's, remember, we had the cup illustration. All she's doing is bumping up against my cup. What is it that she's saying or doing that is actually causing my idols to be threatened, my counterfeit kingdoms to be threatened and shaken, why am I responding the way I'm responding? When you're fighting with your teenager for the third time this week, he, and here's the other thing quickly, if there's ever been a group of people that we tend to minimize their emotions is our, is our kids. Oh, well, they'll just get over it. So hold on, so your emotions matter, but not theirs? Your emotions carry weight, but they're just going through a phase? The reality is this. As you 
are interacting with other people, there, there's something about kids and there's something about spouses and there's something about coworkers and there's something about just maybe, but it takes two to tango. And your cup's being knocked up against two. So as you are di uh, dialoguing, here, here's, here's the last thing I'll say before we move to the final point. As you are dialoguing, there's two reactions, right? I said something, I think it was week one, where I overspoke, and someone actually approached me, and I was like, that's a good point. I made a comment like, every time you feel a strong emotion, it's because there's an idol. I, that's, a, that's an overstatement. It's not every time. But here's the thing. When you are dialoguing with your emotions, really trying to question and interrogate, two, there's only two places you could end up. You could either end up in a place where you realize, oh, I am having this strong emotion because there's something here. There's an idol underneath this that I have to address. But sometimes you will dialogue with your emotions and realize there isn't an idol there. You're just having a strong emotion, right? So when I got the call that my grandma died, I had a strong emotion, but it wasn't because I had an idol. It was because my grandma died. Does that make sense? There, there isn't always an idol under every rock. So I'll give you an example. Uh, two weeks ago, I was, having, I was in one of my meetings, and one of the, uh, my coworkers, who's a good friend of mine, he said something that really hurt me. And so instead of reacting in the moment, I took the day, took the rest of the day, I prayed about it, processed it, and I wanted to see, did I have a strong reaction because there was an idol here? And when I realized that there wasn't, I then approached him the next day, we sat down, and we had a conversation. I said, you said this, and it bothered me. Here's why it bothered me. And immediately he said, man, I'm sorry, I didn't even mean it that way. Now, if it would have been an idol, there's nothing for me to talk to him about. But if it isn't, and it is actually, I'm hurt by what you said, the emotionally healthy person is the person who then sits down with that individual and says, hey, we got to talk. Does that make sense? So the fourth and final step that the psalmist takes in order to preach the gospel to his heart is after he takes the first three steps, the fourth and final step is to declare. Everyone say declare. And by declare, I mean declaring the gospel. The, the, this fourth and final step is the actual preaching step. We declare the gospel, we preach the gospel to our hearts. You see, as you go through the first three steps, the diagnosis might be different depending on the day, depending on the moment. But what I want you to see is that the solution is always the same, right? The diagnosis might be different, but the solution is always the same. How do we know? Well, because the psalmist says in verse one, he compares himself to a dehydrated deer, a deer that is dying of thirst. See, in English, it just seems like the deer is thirsty and he's looking for a place to drink. But what one commentator said is that deers aren't like us. They don't, they don't wait until they get super thirsty. They're always around some body of water. So if, if, if the deer is panting, it's because it's dehydrated. It's because it's, it can't find a source of water. So he compares his soul to a deer that is dehydrated and dying of thirst. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I would describe my soul like that. I regularly settle for 
lesser than counterfeit bodies of water to satisfy my soul. But the fact that he understands that the only thing that can fix his issue, regardless of what the issue is, regardless of what the emotion is, is God shows that he understands that the soul can only be satisfied by one person and one person alone, and that is God. He uses the word pant. The word therefore pant means to long for something, to crave after something, to desperately desire something that is needed. Then he uses the word thirst, which carries the idea, like I said earlier, of dehydration, of emptiness and desperation. So what he's saying there in verse one is that he knows in his heart of hearts that the only thing that can satisfy his soul, the only thing that can settle the, the turmoil and the commotion in his soul is God himself. Amen. And in light of that reality, he declares the truth to his soul. He, he doesn't just, so we see in the text, he pours out his soul, but then after pouring out his soul, he preaches to his soul. See, some of us are really good at pouring out our soul. Heck, you'll pour out your soul to the waiter at Perkins if you let him. It's easy to pour out your soul. It's a whole nother ballgame to then preach to th that same soul. So he examines his soul, and then after examining it, he evangelizes it. Here's why the first three steps are so important, though. Because when you preach the gospel, the gospel is like a diamond that has multiple facets, multiple dimensions. But if you don't do a good job of taking the first three steps of detecting and diagnosing and dialoguing, then you end up with, you, let me put this, you don't present the gospel and you don't preach the gospel to your soul as effectively as you could have if you really got down to why you were feeling what you were feeling. In other words, you end up with a general gospel presentation for a general emotional reaction. But the more specific you can get with your diagnosis, the more effective the declaring will be. The, the way we've illustrated it in the past, I think this is J.D. Greer that says this, but it's this idea that if our hearts are a boulder and the gospel is dynamite, and you're trying to blow up the boulder, you can do it in one of two ways. You could just set the dynamite on top of the boulder and hope for the best, or you can drill a hole into the boulder and set the dynamite inside the boulder. That's why the dialoguing and the diagnosing and the detecting, those steps are so important because the better you are able to identify what is the problem emotion and what is the affection underneath the emotion, the better then you'll be able to preach the gospel to that affection. But again, if you don't do the work, you end up with a general gospel presentation for an emotional reaction, for a general emotional reaction. Does that make sense? That's why the first three steps set up the final step. And then when he preaches the gospel to himself, he uses this language in the text. He says, he uses the word to remember. He, in the word there to remember in, in the Psalm, it means to record something, to, to write it down, to, to really be mindful of something, to ponder it. And the, the implication there for the word remember is to uh, repeat something for the purpose of renewing it in your mind. And then he says, because again, he's preaching the gospel now. He tells his soul, hope in God, 
The word there, hope, means a resolute state of waiting upon God. Hope is a confident expectation that God will do what he said he'll do. And then he says, he's not just my hope, he's my salvation. And the word there, salvation, in Hebrew means my help, my deliverance, my rescue, and my victory. And then here's the beautiful thing too. He reminds himself of the sovereignty of God. He doesn't just remind himself of the salvation of God. He reminds himself of the sovereignty of God because he says it's your waterfalls, it's your breakers, and it's your waves. How often will people go through stuff and they're going through a scenario or they're going through a situation or they're going through suffering and they're acting as if God is not sovereign over what they're going through? He says that the waterfalls that are hitting me and the breakers that are overwhelming me and the waves that I'm going under are your waterfalls and your breakers and your waves. So he's not just preaching the salvation of God to his heart. He is preaching the sovereignty of God to his heart. That's why Charles Spurgeon says, he says, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. That, that, that when a wave shows up and pushes me back onto the rock of ages, the more mature you become in Christ, the more thankful you become for the waves. Because if it wasn't for the wave, you wouldn't realize that Jesus is the only thing you have. If it wasn't for the shaking, you wouldn't realize that God is the only unshakable thing. I won't naturally just turn to the, uh, uh, the, the unshakable nature of God's kingdom until I see how shakable my kingdom is. Spurgeon says that he's learned to kiss the waves that push him back onto the rock of ages. Because it is God's waterfalls and it is God's breakers. It is God's waves. And if in your theology, God's not sovereign over your suffering, you don't have a Christian theology. And then I love this. Look how honest this guy is. He says, again, I will praise him. He doesn't say I'm going to praise him right now. He's like, I will praise him again. I'm not ready to do that yet. Right? Because how often will you be around Christians be like, hey, just suck it up, man. Put a happy face on. We're at church. Positive encouraging. K-Love Christianity. <laughs> he says, look, I want to praise him. I want to confess him. I want to revere him. I will do it again one day. I can't do it yet, though. I love that, that he's so honest. He says the reason why we can declare uh, the gospel, and the only reason why we can declare the gospel when things get hard, is because the gospel is the only news that gets better in bad news situations. And church, the reason why we can trust God, see, if this, if this brother had reason to trust God in the Old Testament, we have so many more reasons. Because when we talk to God, we're not talking to this deity that's far removed. No, we are talking to a God that became a man and whose soul suffered too. Whose soul was in turmoil too. It says in Matthew 26 that Jesus is in the garden and he says, my soul, get this, is sorrowful, his whole person, not just his head, not just his emotions, not just his hands, but his entire soul, he's asking, he's begging his friends, pray with me. 
because my soul is sorrowful even unto death. Jesus Christ experienced this downcastness. He experienced this turmoil. So much so that his whole body reacted. It says that he was sweating blood. And he got to the cross and he cried out to God like the psalmist does. But instead of being received, he was forsaken. He took our place so that we might have his. God treated Jesus that way, that one time, in his darkest moment, so that he wouldn't have to treat us that way in our darkest moments. So, like the psalmist, if you're a Christian here today, you might feel forgotten, but he was forgotten. You might feel deserted, but he was deserted. You might feel forsaken, but he was forsaken. And that's why in the New Testament, Jesus says in Mark 5, Mark 5 he says, don't be afraid, only believe. He's teaching you, even there, he's teaching disciples how to preach the gospel to their hearts. Don't be afraid, he says in Mark 5, only believe. Then in John 14, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. So even in the New Testament, Jesus is teaching us that when we are afraid, we preach the gospel to our hearts. When we are troubled, we preach the gospel to our hearts. When we are in doubt, we preach the gospel to our hearts. When we are discontent, we preach the gospel to our hearts. When our, it says in, in 1 John 3 that when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. I love that. That there's going to be times where your heart condemns you and you feel condemned. But it doesn't matter how you feel because Romans 8.1 says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So my heart can condemn away. But God, John says, is greater than my heart. So when I'm afraid, I preach the gospel to my heart. When I'm in doubt, I preach the gospel to my heart. When I'm prideful, I preach the gospel to my heart. When I'm alone, I preach the gospel to my heart. In other words, there is never a scenario where you shouldn't preach the gospel to your heart. Re-evangelizing ourselves every single day. So as we conclude, this series has not been about restricting our emotions. It's been about rewiring our affections. So if it's not about restricting our emotions and it's about rewiring our affections, then the only way we can do that is by rehearsing the gospel of the kingdom of God. What we've learned in this series is that our emotions come from God, but they're also redeemed by God. God is not just the creator of our emotions. He is the redeemer of our emotions. So as a result, what we've discovered in these past few weeks is God doesn't just want part of us, which is our emotions. God desires and demands all of us, which is our souls. Amen? 
Hello, Mission Church. We're so excited to be with you this morning. My name is Whitney Clay, and this is Olivia. <laughs> uh, we're excited to worship with you today. We had an incredible service. Um, week four of In My Feelings, our emotion series, which was so good. We've been sitting here talking about it, kind of unpacking things. Um, Katie's moderating, and she would love to talk to you as well about all the things that God is teaching you. So as we we're talking through the questions and processing, please process right along with us and share with her where you're watching from and what the Lord's been teaching you. And then there's a QR code. It's right up here. Olivia's head. Somewhere over here. We would love for you to fill that out and let us know where you're watching from so that we can get to know you and know how we can resource you and yeah. come alongside you. Yeah. It's so oh. good this morning, though. So good. Um, it's a hard thing to to preach the gospel to our hearts um, mm -hmm. and to um, constantly do that. And the reminder that there's never a situation that we don't need yes. to preach the gospel to our hearts. And so whatever situation it is, the answer is to preach the gospel to yes. our hearts. And that's sometimes hard. We want it to be some other solution. Um, but yeah. that's... That's just the kindness of God mm, uh, to remind us that he's the only answer. And so yeah. um, I'm excited to talk through this. <laughs> so Whitney, did God teach you anything new today? Um, did this new truth confront, challenge, or comfort you? Yes. Um, and we're not going to reread the scriptures like oh, we yeah. normally do. We want you to go back and read those, spend some time in them. They're so rich. And I love how Will kind of pulled out different verses yeah, to highlight yeah, as he was talking through yeah. this. Um, for me, it was probably comforting and convicting. <laughs> um, I feel like a lot of times I'm really good at like the other steps. Like, okay, I can detect, I can diagnose, I can dialogue sometimes, but I feel like declaring the gospel mm -hmm. is where I really struggle. So taking that and saying, okay, this is the emotion I'm feeling. Maybe this is the idol that's uncovered. Mm -hmm. Now, how do I surrender that to the Lord? And yeah. how do I really declare the gospel over and over again? And I loved mm -hmm. how he said, um, do we settle for counterfeit bodies of water to satisfy our souls? And I was like, I've never thought about that way. No. Like when you look at as the deer pants for the water, you know, and just that different perspective. I'm like, am I thirsting and hungering after the things of the Lord yeah. when it comes to my emotions and mm -hmm. surrendering those things to him and saying, God, I don't want this to be an idol. Um, help unroot it and preaching the gospel over and over, reminding of his sovereignty and, yeah. you know, like the hope, that confident expectation, um, but that God is over. He is sovereign. He is mm -hmm. good. He's over the suffering. He's over all those things. And I think yeah. so many times I just breeze past that. And that's the most important step, like yeah. to get healing yeah. and wholeness is to do that. Yeah. And so that's really what spoke to me. Yeah. So that's what so about good. you? That's so good. Um, <laughs> There's so many things. Um, today, I felt like I wrote a lot of notes under the dialogue mm, part. Yeah. Um, just, you know, uh, the example of like, why are you uh, cast down my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Mm -hmm. Questioning, you see the example of questioning his soul, but he's not in this place of um, like denying or, or yeah. deifying, you know, and, and he's kind of somewhere in, in the middle. And um, I think sometimes it's hard for me to do that. Mm -hmm. I am a verbal processor. <laughs> the amount of times that Whitney <laughs> has heard me verbally process it, it'll be something that we talk about it maybe an hour before and then an hour later, I'm like, wait, what? And I got to talk about it again. And so um, one of the things too, though, is like listening to your emotions, mm -hmm. but not letting them lead you. Um, yes. I'm a very emotional person mm -hmm. growing up. That was really hard for me because some people either didn't know what to do with it or they just didn't want it to happen yeah. at all. And so I got in this weird space of how do I respond to my emotions? But I think what it made me do was deny them completely. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and, and granted, my parents were very gracious and they listened to me. So it wasn't really yeah. at home. It was like 
with friends and their, their parents and like, yeah. things like that. So it's just kind of hard um, when you don't want to be led by your emotions. But I think there were many times it was like, I just don't want to have them anymore. Yeah. Like, I don't want to have yeah. any. And I was never told growing up that God created me with those. Mm. So hearing that is freeing. And one of the things I wrote that Will said was the gospel brings freedom to our emotions. Yes. Um, and But here's the thing, like our sin does impact our mm. thoughts and our feelings. Yep. And we have to address the sin that's in our lives. Yes. And it's easier for, for all of us to speak to somebody else about their own sin and to see that. It's harder to say, I have pride in my own yeah. heart. And that is a sin, you know, and, and, and I think, I think I'm just encouraged in a lot of ways, but it is challenging to me, mm-hmm. um, to say, okay, Olivia, how often are you pausing to ask yourself why you're being reactive in that yeah. way? Um, and why are you so quick to point out somebody else's mm-hmm. stuff when the, you have <laughs> a lot of stuff, um, that you need to also confess and repent of and even apologize for, yeah. um, just that like restoration with other believers as well. Mm. Um, and so I think the comforting part is it does come back to Jesus being the only yes. answer and it does come back to the truth of the gospel. And there's so much freedom when it's not based on my own merit Amen. and it's not based on what I did right or what I did wrong, but it's solely based on what Jesus did for me. Um, yeah. And so, um, and allowing God yeah. to redeem that, like he said yes, that yes. allowing God to redeem those mm-hmm, emotions or those mm-hmm. places, like you said, that we've been wounded, you yeah. know, and saying, okay, God, I was told this or told that I couldn't take <laughs> my emotions to you, you know, like, that yeah. you couldn't handle those. Yeah. And God's like, no, I'm I'm big enough to handle them. Mm-hmm. And actually I express them, like, yeah. you know, and being yeah. able to allow him to redeem those mm-hmm. areas where we've been wounded. And realizing, I love what he said, like, it's not always an idol. Mm-hmm. Yes, Here's the thing. It's so like important. a, it's like a 50, 50 thing. Okay. You, you would know <laughs> if it was an idol, but even sometimes it is because we have built this lesser kingdom Yeah. and it's getting threatened. And the reality is we're realizing we do have an idol or, uh, maybe you might be trying to find significance or security in someone or somebody or mm. what they say about you or their approval of you for so many years that held me back uh, yeah. because I was so concerned about that. Um, but the reality is like, mm. that's an idol. Yeah. Um, and my significance isn't found in what other people say. It's found in what Jesus says about yes. me and what he's done for me. And so, I don't know, you can evaluate some situations probably yeah. in your life right now and say, oh, wow, like there's freedom. God mm-hmm. can redeem that. And God, God, sent Jesus for me yes. and there's so much freedom like he made me this way and he's going to teach me how to steward that mm-hmm. um, and, and, and accountability with others will teach me how to steward that well yes, um, but right. you know obviously making sure those are safe people yeah, for <laughs> um, sure. because there can be harm done in that way but there's freedom in the gospel yes. be- and then that brings freedom to our emotions and the things we walk through um, mm-hmm. and I'm really grateful for that this morning me too. it's just very comforting yeah. so challenging and comforting Yes, um, but yeah Amen. So good. (laughs) So when we think about that and we think about the steps, he talked about the first step of detection being essential in that process Mm -hmm. of emotional stewardship. Like we've got to do that work. What happens if we don't do that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, We love to probably skip this step because it says a lot about us. You know, this is how I feel. This is how I feel. I think this way. Um, But, um, we are called to steward that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the hard part is like, if you don't take this first step, you are not addressing something that uh, 
needs to be admitted. Yeah. And so, like, uh, you cannot address what you don't admit. He kept yeah. saying that. And I'm like, dang. I know. <laughs> that hurts. <laughs> but how many times are we like, I'm just going to power through. I'll get with to this later. I feel this way. And then literally yeah. months later, we're like, why am I so angry? And when why? we suppress it, it's going to come out. Like, it's going, oh, yeah. You you're know, just as like, much as we don't want to deal with it, it's going to come you're out. You're one of those um, science projects with a little mm-hmm. volcano. That's yeah. you. Um, <laughs> you're the baking soda, yeah. all the whatever... What is it vinegar? I think so. I think that's right. It, that is you. So uh, you need to know that that's you. If you keep suppressing and denying the things that you need to admit, then yeah. you're going to be overflowing. Mm-hmm. Um, but God did create us with a mind, heart, and a will. Yes. And all those things submit to him ultimately. Um, but yeah. we don't want to admit that we have emotions or that we have thoughts about something, but yeah. then it goes, it leads to behavior. So whatever you're just keeping in, just don't worry. Your hands are going to be mm-hmm. reflecting that soon enough. Um, and you <laughs> talked about how we want to separate what God has put together. Mm-hmm. Like, and so we're not necessarily looking at, have I eaten? Have I taken care of my body? Have I drank enough water? It's yeah. like, oh no, I'll do all that too. Like, I'm just angry at you. But it's like, no, you just didn't eat breakfast. <laughs> like you're just <laughs> mad at the world. And it's like, all of those things have to go together, but we have to pause and actually ask ourselves those questions of why. And I think mm-hmm. that's where we can get mm-hmm. in trouble is like, well, this is just how I feel, which is really relevant in our culture today. <laughs> and it's like, okay, that's great. But why do you feel that way? And mm-hmm. are you doing the work to dig a little deeper yeah. and say, this is going to affect how I behave, mm-hmm. how I react, how I steward relationships in my life. Yeah. And then you're able to look at these other areas and actually yeah. preach the gospel. And it naturally yourself. flows into like that second step of diagnosing it. Like mm-hmm. there well, how does our head perceive what our hearts are feeling? Yes. Oof, that's hard. But then there are four factors, the physical, mental, relational, emotional. And like mm-hmm. Whitney said, like some of it may be physical reasons why you're reacting the way that you are. Yeah. Have you eaten? Have you drank anything? Did you sleep enough? <laughs> and here's the deal. Some of it may even be a step further. There are things that are physically going on in your body that right. you don't have an answer to. And that's frustrating. And I've been yeah. there and I understand that. And it's like hard to see... Yeah. Light at the end of the tunnel when you're so feel so stuck in yes. what you're in. But again, the gospel brings freedom yes. to that. Even if you don't have an answer, the gospel brings freedom to that. That was one of the things yeah. I kept thinking as he was talking is like, that's the beauty of the gospel is no matter how this hits you today, or maybe it's new, maybe you've heard it before, maybe it's heavy where the yeah. season you're in, like the gospel brings freedom and yeah. there is hope in our savior. And I love how he reminded us. He said, the gospel is not how we feel about Jesus, but how he feels about us. Ooh. And I needed to hear that today. <laughs> I hope you needed to hear it. But it's like, even in the psalmist words, mm-hmm. like as he's crying out, he's like, where are you? Why do I feel this way? And he's like, but that doesn't change who God is. Yeah. It and doesn't he, change how he, he can handle us. our emotions. Yes. Um, that's hard for me to mm-hmm. believe sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Can't lie, it is. And so it's like knowing that we have a God who's so big and he's created us so intricately. Yes. He knows the ways that he has made us and he knows the things that are heavy in our hearts and he mm-hmm. wants us to bring those things to him. We actually have to bring them to him. Yes. But knowing that even if you were told growing up that emotions aren't welcome, that you have to have this facade or be yeah. all ready to go to walk into church, <laughs> here's the deal. If you had talked to me this Sunday, you would know I do not have it together and I don't have it together and I'm not going to pretend that I do, yeah. but God is gracious and he's really good. And, and, and the reminder that he brings freedom yeah. is, 
is, I hope that's encouraging to you today. Whatever it is that mm-hmm. you're dealing with, whatever it is that you're walking through, I pray that you would know that he brings freedom. Yes. Um, and that you don't have to put on any kind of face mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. present yourself to him. He already knows. Yeah. He knows the innermost thoughts, you know, of our hearts and our minds. He knows yeah. all of us. He's made us. And so we can bring those things to him and say, God, yeah. here's how I'm struggling today. And his mercies are new every morning. Praise God. Yeah, like praise God. He gives us exactly what we need for the day. And yeah. so um, don't feel like you have to get it all together to bring yeah. it to Jesus. Yeah. And then like ending on this fourth thing, um, I, I probably am not going to ask the question because we, okay. we can just talk about it. Um, but, um, well, maybe I should. Why can the fourth step of declaring the gospel to our emotions and affections only happen after the first three steps are taken? And why is this fourth step the most important step of all? Yeah, and I think we've kind of talked about it. Like we could do all this other work and we can talk to ourselves. We can change the way even we're speaking to ourselves yeah. and not just listening and being passive like mm-hmm. he talked about. But if we don't declare the truth of the gospel, it's all for nothing. Yeah. Like it all comes back to the gospel. Yeah. And that is in every single area of our lives. And so when we do yeah. these other steps, we're able to detect those idols or those areas. Maybe we're not fully surrendered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if we don't do that, I don't think we're going to get to the root yeah. of our problem. Yeah. And well, and it's <laughs> declaring the gospel to yourself. Like that means whatever it is, whatever situation. Yeah. And, and, and this is what he said. The diagnosis might be different. And I wrote but in big letters. Yeah. But the solution is always the same. Yes. And the only thing that can fix, fix the issue is God alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and like only God can satisfy your soul. Yeah. And only God can meet you in those dark places with yes. grace and kindness. And only God can, can show you the things that don't look like him yeah. that need to change. And mm-hmm. only God can bring healing in that Uh, and only God can bring restoration in that Um, and that may not look like what you think it will it may not be the answer that you think it will look like it may look very different you may it may here's the deal we are not like Tyler said like we are not promised that we won't suffer yeah we are told when we suffer yeah um and so that's the thing suffering is a real part of our walk with Christ it's not easy but we see God's goodness in suffering and we see his kindness in suffering and that Mm -hmm. leads us to remember um that we can have hope in the lord even if it doesn't turn out the way that we expected or wanted or desired Mm -hmm. he's still good um and and that's hard to believe but it really is so true yes and that brings that brings peace to whatever situation you're walking through is asking God what he's doing in it mm-hmm. and trying to look for God in it and remember his character and his word. Yes. Um, but always coming back to my greatest need is Jesus. Yes. That is, that is the biggest thing that I'll ever need. And I can't do anything to earn it. Yeah. Amen. You know? Amen. Mm. And mm. I love that no matter what we're all walking through, like all the things we're going through, yeah. the gospel never changes. Yes, like he is yes. steadfast. He is secure. And his mm-hmm. grace and his mercy are sufficient for me. And they're sufficient for you. Yeah. And they're sufficient for you. And so I hope today, mm-hmm. um, no matter what you're walking through, you are learning and leaning into the fact that you can pour out your soul to our Savior who is good and kind yeah. and gracious and loving and that you can then take that gospel and preach it yeah. to your soul too and be able to remind yourself of his truth and of who he is and of how much he loves you. Yeah, and remembering that God doesn't just want part of you. He wants all of you. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes it means saying all the things all that maybe it. you're trying to hold back and yeah. maybe you're trying to hide, but he can handle it. Yeah. 
he can handle it. Yeah. But we're so glad that we got to talk through this with you guys today. Yeah. As you can tell, we've got a lot going on <laughs> too. And we'll we're keep trying, talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're processing it. But uh, we're thankful that we serve a God who is so big mm. and so faithful and so good. And uh, we're just praying for you as you process. Don't forget that you can fill out this QR code um, right now. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, let us know how we can be praying for you. We love gathering together, yeah. and there is beauty um, in gathering together. And I know some of you are unable to, yeah. to gather with us, but we would love to invite you, mm-hmm. if you're local, to come to yeah. our Memphis location or our Carville location us. and join us on a Sunday morning. Um, but also, if you are not in our area, we would mm-hmm. love to find you a local church. Yeah. We would love for you to be able to go on a Sunday to a gospel-centered church where you can build community with other believers Mm -hmm. and grow in your relationship with Christ. Obviously, we still would love for you to join us, (laughs) but we would love for you to have community around you where you live. And so if we can do that, if we can help you in that way, please fill out this this QR code. Uh, Or message Katie. Let us know how we can best support you um, because we're grateful Um, for you. So yes, we love you guys. Thank you for processing this along with us. We hope those conversations continue in your home or around the lunch table, however you're processing. Uh, But we love you guys and we'll see you next week. See you next week.